2: post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today, we are reaching back into our archives to share some of our favorite stories with women over 40. Each of these women has started something special, and we wanted to make sure our new listeners didn't miss out on hearing these conversations. Old or new to the podcast, we hope each of these stories inspires you to consider your own possibilities. Enjoy. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. Today, you're in for a treat, a double treat, actually, as we have two women in the fashion industry who you will soon learn are making a great impact and happen to be some really cool people too. I'm excited for you to get to know them a little bit more. We've got Kimberly Lewis, who is the owner of Emerson Grace in Nashville. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you. And and Kimberly and I put together that we actually know each other from years and years ago. So it's kind of fun to be making this connection. And then we've We've also got the CEO of Citizens of Humanity, Amy Williams. Amy, welcome
0: to the show. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here also.
2: Of course. So, Kimberly, let's just start with you. Um, And let me give a little context to this conversation because normally we interview one female founder at a time. And in this conversation, I wanted to talk about the relationship between the manufacturer and the store owner especially as it relates to this last year. So I wanted to have Amy on to talk about uh, the supportive role that she found herself in or needing to be in, as well as your role as a small business owner on Main Street who had to maintain you know, their, their position in the community and maybe even had to reach beyond the the door-to-door interaction and into the digital space. So that's why we're having this conversation and talking a little bit about What needed to happen last year that was so unique, and how does that inform this year going forward? But first, tell us a little bit about Emerson Grace.
3: Emerson Grace is a women's contemporary boutique in Nashville, Tennessee. It has been around since December 2013, so we are going into our eighth year. And I would say that it is all things wonderful for wonderful women.
2: Ooh, I like that. Hopefully
3: that uh, <laughs> describes it, you know.
2: Well, when people go to emersongrace.com, they'll, they'll know that what you're saying is, is true. It's beautiful. It's a beautifully curated space. And we can experience that digitally, even without being in the store. Mm-hmm. And so you don't come into this retail profession as a newbie. Give us a little bit about, or tell us a little bit about your background.
3: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, um, you know, my background, I feel very fortunate to have both a retail and wholesale background. I think that makes me a little bit of an anomaly in the sort of specialty boutique arena and small business arena, because I think I have both hats, so I understand both sides of the business. But originally, um, my claim to fame, so to speak, is that I was the vice president director of stores for BCBG Max Asria when they launched. So zero stores to 100 stores is my claim to fame because I I did that and I built the infrastructure by hiring really amazing, talented women for the most part to be a part of that foundation from the buying office, the merchandising department, and then the operations department. So all of that, and then also the whole field team, which is the district managers, the regional managers, et cetera. So I did that, and that's really kind of the crux of my business. I also worked for Max Asria on the wholesale side for, so on and off, On honestly, I feel like it's a span of about, You know, 15 to 17 years, because the first time was nine years, and then I left, and then I came back and worked for three years, and then I left and was recruited back and was there again for another three years. So, over a period of time, and I worked also for Ralph Lauren at the Beverly Hills flagship store as the assistant general manager of that location. And um, I've also had other wholesale stints where, you know, I think having that retail. Day one, my first job was working for MGA, which is Maurice George and Armand Marciano, which everybody now knows as guest jeans. So now I am really telling you how old I am. Oh and <laughs> But, you know, that was one of my first real jobs. And that's really what sort of started me on the path of retail, moved to Los Angeles and um, worked for them for about five years and then was recruited by Max Azria. So sort of in the in those Line. So I've worked for some big wigs and some small guys that made it really big. I feel very fortunate. And it's ironic that I'm in this space now. And I feel like a big part of my success is because I have a background to understand both sides of the business and the consumer, because I am the consumer at the end of the day.
2: Right, right. And we are often building whatever our uh, company is for us, right? Right, right Exactly. Quick question for those who are listening who don't have a background as extensive as yours in both wholesale and retail. Can you give us sort of two takeaways in terms of what was so valuable or what has proved to be so valuable to you in having a foot in both of those um, industries and, and, and how you've been able to sort of marry that into your now single boutique experience?
3: I think when you have the not when you have the experience of working one for others and mm. seeing and being a part of growth because I would say at BCBG where I have both a retail and wholesale background I came to him in the retail aspect and that's what I knew because I had worked in that you know all of my career until then and I think having the understanding of really what retail is. You know, I think a lot of people open a store because, oh, it's so cute and I like clothes. Okay. Yeah. But I think the un the financial understanding of how much it actually costs to run and operate a retail store, no matter the size, is really what you have to pay attention to to be I think, to be successful. So I think having just a retail foundation, working for someone who, you know, started with very little and had the grit and determination to grow into an empire and being a part of that and being a part of that foundation and Mm -hmm. almost growing into my position. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because when you have zero Mm -hmm. stores, I can be the VP of blah, 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 and I'm not really doing anything. But once (laughs) you start getting to 20 stores, 25 stores, 100 stores, it becomes a different animal. So I would say, and on the wholesale side, dealing with the buyers who are actually buying the product and knowing that I had to still sell, but understanding their needs and what what they were responsible for and what I was responsible for. And and as you're asking me this question, I'm going to just make it a short version of one of the things that I pride myself on is just simple things. A deal is only a deal when both parties win. So when mm. you can realize that it's just not all about you and you might want something, you really have to know that there's a give and take. And a good deal is when both people feel like they're winning. And so I think it's I the irony that I'm on here with Amy. Right, yeah. Because I've, I've carried citizens in the store for quite some time, but I feel like the partnership, without asking for a partnership, sort of developed organically, um, and I think it's just a mutual respect for each other that came mm-hmm. across. So I know I segued, and I apologize to that, but no, that's sort of I think, I think what happened.
2: You know, I think it's brilliant, and I think it's important for people who are listening no matter what industry they're in to understand your, when you just said a deal is a deal, when both people win, mm-hmm. I think it shows a mutual respect for the other person, whoever's mm-hmm. sitting across the desk. Right. And I think that relationship, those are the relationships that can withstand the the mm-hmm. difficulty and the hardship and trust mm-hmm. each other. When one says, look, I I can't meet your terms. I can't mm-hmm. make a payment, but I'm mm-hmm. good for it. Mm-hmm. It's those things that are able to, sustain one another in the long term. So I I really respect that. I also have to go back to something you initially said about just going into retail. I think you're right that a lot of people go in because it's fun and they really like shopping. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people, I've consulted those people mm-hmm. along the way. And mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to look at the financials and say, your revenue does not equal your earnings; <laughs> these are two different things. These are you are not things. profitable. Yes, <laughs> and why? And how do we take a look at it in a way that you can still curate and bring to the table? You know your great taste, mm-hmm. but it has to make sense. Otherwise, you're monetizing a hobby. So I really yeah. appreciate uh, you saying that as an I expert. Was,
3: I was talking to my team, telling them that I was coming on this podcast, and you know going through the questions just quickly, just kind of thinking about what am I going to talk about, et cetera. But one of the things that I've realized also with a lot of retailers is that I say all the time, reports don't lie. Okay, Mm. The reports tell you what's selling and what's not, what's performing and what's not, how and where to drive your business. And I think if people take the time to just realize what works for you. There's so much that you can do to sort of portray and, you know, request that your customers sort of take in and get from you. But at the end of the day, they're going to buy what they want to buy and they're going to come to sure. you for what they want to come to. And you hope that in that, it's the message that you're sending, right? Because everything that you're spending your time, your energy and your money on is towards, you know, product that you hope that they actually want. That's, I think, what I'm doing. I think that's what Amy's doing. But at the end of the day, we all know the things that they have clearly said. Yeah, no, we don't care. We could think it's the cat's meow and this is the best thing ever. And no, no, they say no. And so we kind of sometimes laugh in the store that we say, oh, we thought that was going to be a hit. So the customer at the end of the day kind of votes. We can train and educate and try to direct them But at the end of the day, it's their money, and they're going to choose where they want to spend their money.
2: Sure. Amy, for those of you who are not able to watch and see her vigorous nodding right now, she is in agreement (laughs) with Kimberly, and we'll get back to that in a second. Because I think what we're learning in this is no matter the scale, the customer is telling the truth. And I have said to uh, many past clients, and if they were here, they would all be kind of rolling their eyes and laughing at the same time. But I always say data is sexy. Like it, 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 that is a good thing. It's a yeah. good thing and it can tell us a lot. Mm-hmm. So Kimberly, I have to ask, did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Ultimately, you obviously had this sort of stellar corporate career that you kept drawing you back for whatever reason. Did you know that this is where you wanted to to end up? And I'm not saying you're ending up. There's no, there's lots saying. left.
3: No. I, you know, I I think back and I would say my first You know, when I opened my first store in South Pasadena, that at that time I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I had had my daughter and I wanted freedom and flexibility. Those two were the, I didn't, it didn't really matter how much money I made. It was more about I want to do things when I want to do them, how I want to do them. And having my daughter made me realize that as much as I loved my job, And I had a great job and I made great money. That freedom and flexibility is priceless. And so I was able to do my store. But as my daughter got older and was getting ready to go to a school and all of this, and it was a private school, I was like, okay, well, having the having the children's store is cute. Okay. But, (laughs) you know, now we have to come to the reality of I have bills to pay. And I made a decision then to close the store and to go back into the corporate world for just consistency of pay. I was a single mom. I had divorced, I was divorced, so I was a single mom raising my daughter. And I just felt like I needed to have the consistent financial piece for me and for her. And I knew that I could always do this again. Like one of I said, I could always do this, and I honestly, I this is something I probably haven't said. I did say to myself, "This would have been a great business to have my my children's store if I was married." I said Mm -hmm. that, which is very interesting because I'm very much like you can do everything by yourself, girl. But I think in that (laughs) space, in my experience being divorced and and my daughter being in a private school and all of these things. I felt like I knew that I could, my store was already successful by myself without having any of the other sort of financial support at home, if that makes sense, right? The contribution would have been an addition to, not reliant upon. And I think in my mm-hmm. mind, I felt like I may have needed that back then. Now that I'm in it and I am married and I do have a successful business that technically is not really reliant upon my husband, but is, I think, very successful because I have a partner, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I have a sounding board. I have a support. That is probably, when I think back at my younger self and to myself, I think it's more of that. I think it's more of having the support, not necessarily the finance. It's the partnership at home that can help just when you are kind of struggling or figuring out, and it doesn't have to be your spouse. It could just be that you have a core group of people that you're surrounded by that can assist and understand and talk through sort of the trials, the tribulations, the struggles, you know, what to do, how to do it, when to do it. But inevitably, you're going to go back to you and your gut and your, your instincts.
2: Thank you for being so honest about that. I think Mm -hmm. in an effort to be true to our feminist selves, we're sometimes afraid of saying things like that. And we do a disservice to the listener, to the Mm -hmm. person that you're mentoring right now, Mm -hmm. because what she walks away hearing is she's supposed to do it all. And so I appreciate the honesty. I also think that when you have that partnership, whatever it is, and that support, that and and I'll be honest, uh, my point here is when it's financial as well, mm-hmm. you can make decisions that are best for the business
0: mm-hmm.
2: and not necessarily decisions that are all about um, making sure that you pay yourself at the end of the day. And in those early years of growing a business, it's very hard. And then the last thing I'll say is something that every entrepreneur has, you know, experienced. It's lonely. Mm-hmm. It's a lonely proposition. It's the reason we have a network, the Liberty Network, because we want people to be supported in it. And it's the reason we do this podcast so that women can hear you and Amy talk about your stories so they can not only not feel alone, but they can get the wisdom and the years that you've put in and sort of expedite expedite their own success. So thank you very much for being so honest. Absolutely. If you could go back and do one thing over on your entrepreneurial sort of journey, what would that be?
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> just
2: one. Just one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I would probably
3: you know, this is the this is the irony of a lot of people don't know that we originally opened the store here in Nashville. We had we had partners. We had a partnership when we had So And there were multiple stores. And when we dissolved Mm. the partnership after one year, we basically kept Emerson Grace, the Nashville location. So that's sort of the real, and that's one of the things, that's a whole nother podcast, I'll tell you, because one of the things that I, on one hand where I had said, it's great to have the support and to have somebody in your life, but that doesn't always have to mean it's your spouse or your your partner like that but having a core sure. group of you know strong people that have your back is really important. One of the things that I might get criticized for is I really am against partnerships. I really mm-hmm. feel that especially with women, I think women feel there's a big fear that they can't do it, so they want to do it with someone else so that they have mm-hmm. a partner Like in it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what happens, or the majority of times, from a lot of experience and a lot of people I know, it just 90% of the time, that's a feeling, not a fact, it doesn't Mm -hmm. end well. Because the person who originally wanted to do the business has a vision for their business. And when someone Mm. comes up and may not align with what your thought process is or your goals or where you're going, and there's that friction, that is very difficult to navigate, and a lot of times that ends up dissolving a partnership. But sometimes that dissolving of the partnership dissolves the business. So a dream yeah. that could have been fantastic, um, and I'm I'm not trying to sound negative or you know not optimistic, but I just feel in I'm of age, you know I'm pretty old. So I think in all of that you just witness a lot and. It's not that there aren't any partnerships that will or won't work. I just think there a lot of them are stemmed from fear. There's Mm -hmm. a fear of not being able to do it or by yourself or something in that regard, and that goes back to surround yourself have have a posse have a have a, a core group of people with an understanding, not just cheerleaders. People that like Liberty that have, you know, a background that you can yeah. bounce ideas off and that it has a, you have a support system to go through and navigate because that's really going to help you in your decision making and I, hopefully in the success of your business. It's not necessarily the yeah. one partner that you are, you know, 50-50, 60-40 and all of that.
2: Yeah, it's you said it's a feeling, not fact. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, partnerships are hard. I've spent a good part of the last 10 years consulting partners on the back end where we're basically divorcing. They're divorcing each other. And on the front end when I'm helping them to articulate why they're in that partnership and what they each want out of this business, both in their day-to-day life and then at the end. Whenever the end shall be, so uh, I don't think you're being negative. I uh, once again appreciate you telling the truth, and I think when people go in with their wa- eyes wide open and they can make a decision, kind of knowing what dark hidden things lie ahead, yeah. and and that's that's what we all that's what we all want. Thanks, Kimberly. Amy, you've been very patient. Thank you so much. So I just wanted um, to have you first tell us a little bit about your. Um, role. You're the CEO of a major denim company, Citizens of Humanity, one of my favorites, by the way. And I too am wearing a pair of your, I'm wearing the wide-legged, like (laughs) rough uh, edge one. I don't know what it's called, but tell us a little bit about your role and then we'll get into sort of all that you've had to navigate in the last year, but just tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: Yeah, of course. So first, I never knew this, but Kimberly and I have had a very, very similar background in in retail and wholesale and and back and forth. And I too had a similar experience with a partner the one time I had chosen to go down a more entrepreneurial path so I could listen to her all day. So yes, I um, am the CEO of the company. And in simple terms, basically, I'm focused on trying to work with the teams in each area from design to sales to branding to bring our three brands to light in the best and the most thoughtful fashion. So within the company we have three distinct brands, Citizens, A Goldie and Gold Sign, and we are all you know, we all very much love the creation of beautiful product. And so our goal is to work with design and create great product that makes each and every customer that wears it feel more confident and better about their own self and sense of style.
2: Sorry to interrupt. What's the difference between the three brands for those of us who don't know?
0: Yeah. So the aesthetic of each of the brands is quite different. So Gold Sign is the most sort of elevated in that it's product that basically looks like it would normally be in some other beautiful fabric. It's mostly about shape and silhouette. Very, very clean denim washes for a customer that doesn't typically think of themselves Mm -hmm. as wearing denim. Um, So that's the smallest of our brands and the most niche. Citizens is sophisticated, chic, sort of effortless style um, product that's meant to be lasting over time and very much plays on the sensibility of like a chic, Californian, French, sort of iconic style. And A. Goldie, which is the youngest of our brands in terms of how long we've been working on it, is a bit more fashion forward. So playing with the trends and playing with more overt silhouettes, highly destructed washes um, and things that are a bit more noticeable. The demographics for all of the brands are actually quite mm. similar or I should say citizens in a. Goldie. So it's less about an age and much more about personal style. And a. Goldie is also a little bit more affordable or accessible in terms of the price point. So we find that oftentimes people know A Goldie for great shorts, um, and that's the way they like find themselves uh, participating in the brand, and then they fall in love with jeans or fleece sweatshirts or t-shirts. Okay.
2: And if you, if if our listeners have a chance to go to the citizens website, it's very cool, in you're about to get sort of a sneak peek at the manufacturing process. I feel like you can learn a lot just watching it. And when you were talking about the different washes, there's this one beautifully photographed video. Photographed video? I'm not sure if I said that the right way. But yeah, But it's, um, it's almost like these stones, these pumice stones that are falling out of what looks to be a dryer or some sort of tumbler. And it gives you a real sense of the attention to detail and the care that goes into each and every piece. It's, it's, it's kind of remarkable, actually. I don't know how I thought jeans were made or your jeans were made, but it was, I was like, wow, I'm really impressed. Uh, it's, it's definitely worth a a look. It's like a little field trip in the, the denim world. So I appreciate that video. Thanks for creating that for us. You know, I, I've said to you actually, and I've said to other people, whether it's, you know, the, the lovely gifting that Citizens does to, include women in the community, other women in leadership or entrepreneurship, like Kimberly has experienced through you and your brand, like I personally have experienced through you guys, you have a a real soul. The brand has a real soul and 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 heart. And I having had the fortune of, you know, having breakfast with you and hanging out with you and watching you speak in, you know, groups of women, I, I know that a lot of that is probably born of you and your vision for the company. And you surround yourself with some really great people. I know I've interacted with some people on your staff too, so I know that's a big part of it. What do you think it is about the company that keeps it so grounded? You're in fashion, where I wouldn't say most people associate brands, fashion brands with being grounded. What do you think it is about your leadership and the company that you would attribute to that groundedness?
0: You know, I think it's a, a couple of things. I think A, the name of the company, right? The the name of the company is Citizens of Humanity. And certainly underneath it sit three very different brands. But I think at least for me that informs like part of the culture we want to create and think about like inclusivity and diverse points of view and really valuing the long-term relationships we have with accounts or anyone that we work with from manufacturing, you know, all the way through the end consumer. So I think that's one element, right? And that just kind of like it gets into the soul of the organization and what we do. I think there's also a lot of humility. Most of the team and and most of us that are in different leadership positions or senior positions have worked for brands that are far larger. With companies and teams that you know can number in the thousands, and I think we all love what we do, and we understand the importance of working effectively together. You know, as Kimberly said, when you're a deal is is only as good as it is for both parties, and I think that's the culture we try and create inside the company and outside the company. So speak honestly, be respectful, be graceful, uh, be humble. And, and so it's, um, I think, a combination of those things really bring us to have that sensibility and what we do. Well, it comes through.
2: I mean, it comes, it, it's funny. Um, Thank you. Because, again, I don't think, and Kimberly, I'm sure you can attest to this, that's not something that's synonymous with fashion brands, like a groundedness, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. So I, I appreciate the, the work that goes, that goes into that to create Thank that you. intangible part of the product. Okay, so thank you for the background. Now we know who we're talking to and why you guys are on this call. I really want to spend some time <laughs> talking about the last year. I, I know many of us want it to be over and in the the past, but there's so much that last year in is informing as we go forward, how we do business, what we will never do again, what we will surely always do, how we value the diversity within our own companies. Uh, So I want to take a minute to sort of reflect on that. And I'm just going to kind of ping pong back and forth, if you don't mind. Kimberly, I want to kind of address you first. The pandemic, the racial reckoning, all these things that were 2020 were difficult, period. Never mind being a small business owner. What What do you think the impact on you was and how did you sort of navigate that?
3: Well, I think for me... I think it impacted me in both because one, being a small business and having a store and having the pandemic shut shut us down. We were closed yeah. for two months, so one, I think that was very difficult. And you know, when you have a lot of experience, you go through a lot of things over time in in your life and in your work life. Never, I don't think, have any of us gone through this. So this was a real unknown. It wasn't something that. Oh, we've done that before, so and so. I could call and say, What did you do when that happened? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no one knew how to do this. So yeah. I think that's one. And then on the other side is that I'm African American. So then you've got we reopened in May, and then in you know, June becomes this this other uprising, which, you know, yeah. I think in in all of it, it's all very overwhelming. I think that's mm-hmm. the one word that I keep coming back to is it's overwhelming. I, I really try to always find the good and the positive in when things happen, why they happen, what was the result of that, and what what can we do, what's the takeaway. And I think the the challenge that I had was that the the two largest issues happened pretty much at the same time. So that magnitude of trying to process personally and emotionally was one, and then the business side on both aspects. I, I think it just really was a difficult time, but it was it was once again where I feel very fortunate. I'm I'm going to assume Amy the same because um, I also have a wonderful team. I have a great mm. staff. Mm-hmm that works with me, and that understands the vision. And I think during the pandemic piece, I'm also their employer, (laughs) you know, they're my employees. And I think for them, there was a lot of fear because there was a lot of unknown and where half the country was unemployed were they going to be unemployed too they just you know there was a, just an unknown i think on every level so as a business owner or amy i'm sure can attest to this as being a ceo and making decisions that are going to affect your team you know it's really challenging i really feel i feel very fortunate that i was able to keep my team but i also have you know i have a i have a Big store, small store. I have a 2,500 square foot store. So it's not like it's a thousand and there's one, two people that work there. You know, I have a five, four person management team. And all of that has grown over the eight years that almost eight years that we've been here. But really for me, it was, I really wanted to make sure that they were going to be okay. I knew I was going to be fine. Okay. I'm I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know how long this is going to be, but I said, as long as I can, this is, this is what we're going to do. Everybody's going to just show up. We're coming to work every day. We're locking the door and we're all working together for a sense of normalcy, actually having to Mm -hmm. get up, take a shower, come into the business. And even, and that is sort of where the big piece of like social media and all of that came into play. But, So I think one, there was just the unknown piece, the overwhelming piece, and then really my own personal shift of how can I do better? How can I be better? You know, we kind of just go into just a pattern and a routine and we do what we do. And we have all these thoughts and ideas and some we do and some we don't because we're busy and we're trying to just, you know, keep things going. And uh, I think it made me take a little bit of a step back And still take my time in how I want Emerson Grace to be perceived and how I want, Mm. what is it I really want for the business in this sort of next chapter?
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that it gave them an excuse to get rid of things that they didn't want to be a part of their business anymore. And it gave people a reason to be more intentional about what they did want to be. It was so, sort of like there was the opportunity to reset for, for, for yeah. several reasons. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, listening to you, I think of the weight of wanting to assure your staff that everything was going to be okay and not knowing yourself is every, if everything was going to be okay and having to hold those two things having to hold the fact that you're an African-American woman and you're trying to navigate your own, and you have a daughter who's Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of all of this too. I mean, all of us with kids felt a a real unique responsibility in this time. Mm -hmm. And so you're having the emotional toll on you while also having to be there and be available to a team that needs you to show up because you're the leader. And it's a lot. I What I appreciate you saying is that you had a team in place that could take that on and you kind of nodded at, at Amy and knowing the the value of a good team, the value of good hire. Mm-hmm. It's not just having people in place, but having the right people in place to weather right. these kinds of storms. So- we're glad that you weathered that, and we can't wait to see what's next. And you mentioned the so digital, yes. that was going on. Yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> not that it's but over, you but you know, no, it's it's not <laughs> over. But I think we have a. It's like we've built that muscle a little bit over the last nine months. You mentioned the digital space. Were you doing something that you hadn't been doing on social or via email? That what what shifted there?
3: Well, it's very interesting that in, so we have a a website for Emerson Mm -hmm. Grace, Emerson Grace Nashville, Mm -hmm. but we don't sell online. Mm -hmm. That's sort of been my own. That's not my space. That's not what I do because we, I really pride myself on being a specialty boutique that is special. And a part of that specialness is the experience that you have when you come into the store. Right. Sure. So it is really about the good old days that has pretty much gone out the window for a lot of places of customer service, of servicing women, of styling them, and really and in an affordable, relatively affordable for what we do, landscape. So that's really kind of what Emerson Grace was. But now our doors are shut, okay, and mm-hmm. people weren't coming in. We have, we have organically grown a wonderful social media following, which, you know, we post, we do stories here, there, blah, blah, blah. But then I realized the only avenue was the social media aspect. And the brainchild that happened because of COVID, which is the good thing, what I would say for Emerson Grace is that, uh, I came up with rack by rack. And Rack by Rack has turned into, I'm going to say a phenomenon, because women come into the store that from all over, because Nashville's open, and they tell me that they follow us on Instagram, and they love the Rack by Rack. So it's a weekly video. Do you watch it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I, me I, too. I, I My daughter watching. sometimes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But five people have said, exactly. can you trademark that? You might need to trademark that. And I started laughing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what happened was we were in the store as a team. And I, every day said, our job every day that we are here is to make people happy. This is, pardon my French, a shit storm. And yeah. women, especially women with kids that have them home and have to teach them, I said, they're going to lose their minds. Women are only capable of just, and we're nurturers and we take it on. And that's just our beings. I said, we have got to be the happy place. We're the happy space. We're the happy place. Whatever we do, we're doing a video. It's got to be happy, happy, happy. I mean, so one (laughs) of the things that at the short version is just that I said, we need to bring the store to them. I said, we're going to bring the store to them. That's what we're going to do. The women that shopped here, they love shopping here and go, and the followers have never seen the store. They don't even know what it is. They're just following us. and that's. I said, I don't know how it's going to end. We're going to start with one rack, and we'll see. Because at first, I was like, oh, we'll go through the whole store. And we're like, oh, that'll take forever. And if you're like me, my bandwidth, I'm like, oh, nobody wants to hear it. So we moved on, and we did one rack, and that was it. And it was. Oh, it's brilliant. No. I got to tell you, yeah, you know, when you're brilliant. in it, you don't think it's brilliant? Yeah. When we when we hit send, basically, and it started, I will tell you, the first one was. I think three minutes long, three, three minutes and 25
2: seconds. Yeah.
3: I will never forget at, at literally 40 seconds in the phone started ringing the phone, like nobody's calling. Okay. Yeah. The phone started ringing the top. What, where's the top Kimberly's wearing right now? And that was the moment that I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And I know I haven't even like Crack the iceberg because I'm like, there's so much going on. I can only do one thing at a time. But I will say that was a part of it, working together with the team. But I also think being a woman and having that sensibility and that understanding and having the experience and really knowing that I'm like, I'm freaking out. If I'm freaking out, every woman is freaking out and in different ways. And the world just seemed like it was crazy. And we take that on. And I just was like, you know what? Thankfully, I have customers that still were shopping. I mean, everybody knows that online just went crazy. People were like, well, I guess I'm going to (laughs) shop, you know, spending their feelings. So
2: that- Well, and your handle, first of all, I kind of don't want you to fully explain it because I want people to actually go to Instagram. So is it at Emerson Grace or is there any fancy dashes or hyphens?
3: It's at Emerson Grace Nashville.
2: Okay, a- at Emerson Grace Nashville. Okay, that's yes. important. So go and check out Rack by Rack. You're going to love it. That's great. And I think those kinds of shifts are the pe- are, are the things that people found themselves doing, not knowing if it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, throwing spaghetti against a wall and then saying, "Oh my gosh, we've we've got something here." So that's that's awesome. So Amy, as the president of Citizens, you're working with a lot of small and large retailers, and you've had to navigate. A tough year as well. How did you support, because we're really focused at Liberty on the small business and on, on the female founder, how did you support the small businesses? What did you see that those businesses needed from you and how were you able to support them? And by the way, while having
0: to navigate your own business? So the first thing we did was give them space I think we said to ourselves, we're all taking in so much. As Kimberly said, these are, you know, times that none of us have ever ever seen or navigated. So the first thing we need to do is just put everything on hold. Doesn't matter what orders we have in the system. Doesn't matter what commitments have been given prior to this time. We're starting from scratch and we'll restart at a time that's right for them. And for each account, that time is going to be different. So that was number one. I think the second thing that we looked at was how can we ensure that the value of our brands is maintained so when they are ready to come back to their customers in whatever way or or manner they choose to, the integrity of the products that they're buying from us is still really well-maintained. So we're not going on sale. We're not going to chase business to replace the business that will not, you know, obviously have over the course of the months that we were shut down. Um, and so there was that. And then I think, third, similar to Kimberly, we took a giant step back and said, okay. What can we do going forward that's going to add more value to them, whether it's simplifying the process or the ways in which we communicate um, or other things in the supply chain or in our PR and and advertising or marketing efforts? So how do we provide support for them to allow customers to either know that they exist or to support shopping locally? Um, And so it really fell into those couple of, of buckets. And I think the last thing and probably the most important was for the first time I started communicating to all of the accounts oh, at wow. the same time. I'm not sure all the emails were read, right? And that's okay, because everyone's appetite is a little different. But it was just to say, you know, let's be as transparent as we can, um, because we all are in this together. And we'll get through it together, which is is really important, I think, for everyone to understand and know. And, you know, each month, basically, there was a different sort of set of topics and communications that we wanted sure. to share.
2: I, I think it, even if they didn't read everything, I think seeing you in their inbox must have meant a lot, um, knowing that you were showing up for each of them and knowing that you were saying, we we hear you and we see you and we'll be here when you're ready. I also really appreciate strategically not feeling the rush to sell through product and not and to maintain your price point for the sake of the customer for the sake of them being able to to extend that price to their end user and not having to say well i got citizens over here at a cheaper rate and that must have been a hard decision to make when you were looking at your own financials one thing that we were, as as Angelina knows, we were proud of you for is you guys were one of the first to step up and take on the mask manufacturing. How was that for you? All of a sudden, you're doing high end denim, and now you're making
0: masks. <laughs> what, what was what was that pivot? Yeah, a little different. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, we got direction on March twentieth at the. Business needed to be completely shut down in LA. Um, and we had been during the course of the week almost on a daily basis thinking about different plans and pivots um, to keep everyone healthy and safe. Thursday we planned to roll something out, and Thursday night at 8 p.m., you know, that order came in. We had been making masks for our own team, you know, to keep those in the factory and the laundry um, as protected as possible. But we did see a lot of public officials coming out and organizations and essential workers saying, you know, there is this tremendous shortage. And so Jared on our branding team basically said, you know, let's just like, we'll just post on social media and let's just put out there that this is something that we can do. And I think, you know, again, for us in the course of those eight or 10 weeks where we did nothing but make masks, it gave us a sense of purpose and hope. Mm. Because we basically said to almost everyone, we're going to be we're going to be shut down. Um, we had a skeleton team working, you know, for for covering as much as we could, and we had whoever wanted to in the factory volunteer if they wanted to sew in very safe conditions. Um, and then we just started contacting, you know, local government officials, New York, etc. cetera, um, and we started working directly with a lot of smaller organizations and and then medical uh, groups like the City of Hope Hospital to just actually understand what the requirements of a safe mask look like, because there were a lot of people out there saying they needed them, but no one knew, even in government, what the actual standards should be. And then, you know, over the course of the next 10 weeks, it was everything from local farmers who were trying to keep the, you know, teams that pick strawberries and sun-kissed raisins safe to uh, doctors that were organizing donations from places like us and Ford Motor Company and City of Hope. I mean, it was... I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life. I honestly would get up at five in the morning and I would start answering wow. emails that were coming in. And And I said to my daughters, I'm like, I have just met, I'll get emotional, like the most incredible mm. people um, through the course of this work. And at a time that you didn't think we could do much, we're, we're really helping and it feels great
2: there there is that groundedness once again of of citizens and of who you are as a leader. Thank you Amy. Thanks for the lesson that is to us too to no matter what industry you're in there's a way for you to support. There's a way for you to help. I don't think someone in the fashion industry would have said, sure in a pandemic we know exactly what to do and right. and yet you you found a way to close that gap for for so many. Thank yeah. you for that. Kimberly what do you think 2020 taught you as a business owner <laughs> one thing one thing stop laughing ladies one thing um that that you could live without that you really didn't need as a business owner
3: i feel like there's 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 kind of a lot but that that was a that was a tough time and i i, I will say i don't know if I, I what i didn't need i think what we what we learned to live without was Yep. was truly our customer walking in the door. That mm. that was something that we we had to learn to sort of do without that. We still had mm. customers all over from social media, but the luxury of having customers walk through our door daily was really, I think, the biggest challenge. Because when you are a store, when you are a retailer and you're on a, you know, in a whether you're in a mall or in a strip center or, you know, in a neighborhood like we are, you, 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 it made us take for granted, you know, that yeah. all those customers that we got to see all the time and hear their stories and all it's, it's, it, it that was probably what we yeah. learned to do without, not that we can do without, if that makes sense. Yeah. That interaction, yeah. that one-on-one um, communication and dealings and laughter and hugs and all of those things that really just came to a screeching halt and that really are a big part of who I am. Like I'm a big let's chit chat and let's talk about everybody, let's connect, let's um, catch me up on what's going on. and you know so I, I think that's the best way that I can answer that. I mean I, I will tell you I I also learned to live without new product. Because mm. a, most every vendor was shut down, and we kind of didn't know when our next order was coming. You know, yeah. they everybody had plans, but their plans were unless. And some people had stock. Like, thankfully, Amy and Citizens. You know, with her, two I buy two of the three brands that she has, and in some regard, she had some stock. So if I needed a reorder, if I had to fill something in, we we were able to do that but not knowing when if we were going to get our orders a lot of our orders were also cut in half by the manufacturer by the brand not by us because everybody was trying to save their companies to make sure, sure. that when and this all kind of went away they could still be there so and i understood that 100% and i it was just more of i would say learning to deal with that and missing, I think that it's human client interaction that you sort of mm-hmm. grow to cultivate and and have. Like those were yeah. some of the things. I don't know if I uh, directly answered, but hopefully I'm giving you an insight no. to what I'm saying.
2: You did. And yeah. I think what's interesting about you saying we can't do without them, but we had to learn to do without customers walking in the door. That's part of why Rack by Rack was born. You mm-hmm. found a way mm-hmm. to share the heart of Emerson Grace in a way that you had actually committed to not doing. You had actually committed at some point to (laughs) being just about the store and about the neighborhood and about the kind of IRL experience. And you were forced to extend that to those of us who are not in your neighborhood. And we're grateful for it. The other thing I think you bring up that is really important is, you know, at face value, we think the small business, the retailer is impacted by doors being shut. But we're forgetting about the supply chain here. Right. That you right. also had to deal with manufacturers who were dealing with their own issues or mm-hmm. shipping issues because manufacturers right. weren't getting things shipped to them, raw right. goods. Right. It was and a snowball it was, effect. Yeah. It was affected mm-hmm. on every mm-hmm. level. And going back to a deal isn't a deal until both parties can win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you navigate that storm together, which Clearly, you guys were able to do brilliantly, which is why you're on on this podcast. Amy, what's I'm going to ask the opposite question. What's one thing that 2020 taught you that you always need to do as a business
0: owner going forward? Excuse me, as a business leader going forward? Yeah, I would say is be honest. I think be really honest and be transparent. I think it helps A, in leading and managing the team, right? When we had to say to people, we need to furlough or we need to do X, Y, and Z, that everyone understood. And I was honest about our goal is to come out of this as whole as possible and to be an ongoing concern for your jobs and then for all of the people that we have partnerships with at retail and and. Our suppliers and all of that good stuff. And I think the same holds true in the relationship with people like Kimberly and the accounts we work with, and ultimately our customers, like, and it's not much different than the world at large right now, right? The more transparent we can be and the more we can communicate what our needs and challenges are, um, I think the easier it is to get through hard times, which will continue to happen and continue to challenge us. Yeah,
2: I I agree. Not just going into 2020, which it's evident that this is somewhat of an extension of last year so far, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I think also in just learning Mm -hmm. kind of better practices and as we uh, we're all about the same age, so I can say this. But as we, mm-hmm. as we, intentionally or otherwise mentor the generation that is going to follow in these footsteps, your footsteps in particular, to be learning how to show up for customers, how to be transparent and honest, how to pivot when when needed, how to support something that's bigger than the company support humanity. You guys are Mm -hmm. brilliant, shining examples of that. And so, thank you. So, before I let you go, and thank you for this brilliant wisdom that you've imparted on us, we do something at the end of our interviews called the Fast Five. So, I'm going to just really quickly ask each one of you a question, and then just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And these are very, very, very important questions. So, answer honestly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kimberly, number one trait an entrepreneur must possess
3: determination.
2: Hmm. Good one. Amy, number one app you use for business?
0: I would say the class, which is an exercise and and sort of meditative program. Because I I think the more of, you know, sort of physical mind and body we are, the better we can show up at work and everywhere else in our lives.
2: That's awesome. And that is the class. Um, And that's Taryn Toomey, is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's mm-hmm. accessible to everybody. And then, Kimberly, what was the first task you hired when you had money? Like the first task you got off, you moved off your plate and said, somebody else manage this.
3: Hiring someone to do the social media.
2: Oh, amen. Amen. Internally.
3: That.
2: Yes, internally. Yes, <laughs> internally. Yes. Amy, this is a tough one, and there is a right and wrong answer, I will tell you. <laughs> Red vines or Twizzlers?
0: Oh, definitely place.
2: Yes. Oh my
1: God! I'm from the East Coast. You are okay. So I, just I I I'm know from that. New York. I
2: know. Yes, and-
0: I'm from New York, and. Twizzlers are like they're soft and they have that nice like sweet taste. Yeah, but they're artificial. Red vines are fresh off the vine, <laughs>
2: like right they're so picked
0: I, picked in California. Yeah.
2: Well, Amy, when I when I lived in New York City, which by the way I realized um, you and I were both at FIT. I don't know, wh- mm-hmm. yeah, um, but which is kind of funny. But when I lived there, my California friends would send me red vines. So yeah, it is a thing. It was, was it kind was a of thing. Them.
3: I was and always then, a red vines I'm, girl and
0: see, until, did you,
2: until here no one
3: I don't know I think it's just that they have them and then I tasted them and I was like wait I like them and I think they're also smaller <laughs> the package is smaller mm, like the red vines mm-hmm. I think of the movies in the box and they're so big yes. and then the
2: Okay. I I will, I'm going to let this go. I like you guys anyway. I still, (laughs) thank gosh you asked at the end. You (laughs) might've kicked me off. (laughs) I I still like you. You're still, you're still some of my favorites, but I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm going to ask each one of you this question. (laughs) Our company is Liberty for her. Our network is the Liberty network. It's obviously an important word for us. What does that word mean to you, Kimberly? Liberty. I
3: believe it means that you have the the power, the freedom, the flexibility to have and run and start your own business on your own terms. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you for that. And Amy, same question. What does liberty mean for you?
0: Yeah, I think that's a beautiful answer. I think it's, Um. In and just to add to that, I would say the freedom to be your own true self and to be able to articulate and give voice to what needs and support you have, or what you need around you, in order for that to happen, I think, longer than you might want. But I think oftentimes, people feel like they have to be mm-hmm. good at everything, or they have to, to show up because other people are going to respect them if they show up a certain way. And, and I don't believe that's the case. I think the world needs everyone to be as they are, um, and, to, and to figure out how to, to be able to do that with support around them.
2: We We will for sure try incorporate to incorporate that in some sort of Instagram post. So watch out for both of your names to be credited for for these answers. And uh, I just need to say, Kimberly, when you were talking about, you know, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but i I was divorced or divorcing when I had my store. And I would say if I had that first children's boutique, when I had the support of a husband would have been different. And I thought how ironic that she's giving that answer on this podcast. That's called Liberty. And when so many of us again would not have said that because it wouldn't have sounded like a liberated thing to say. Mm -hmm. And what you did was you actually liberated people to consider that. So thank Mm -hmm. you for, for that answer. Um, Again, I really appreciated it. You guys are awesome. I wish we could all be together and, and having a cocktail after this, but soon that day we'll, we'll have Amy down here from, I know Amy, are you still coming down to LA at all?
0: I have not been since March. Wow.
2: Okay. So yeah, I know that's crazy. So when, when, um, when that's over. We'll either go to Nashville and shop, for or sure. Kimberly, you'll be you'll be coming back out here, and and we'll have a good time. Thank you so much for thank your.
3: Thank you. This thank was you. so lovely. I'm just happy oh, to see great. you both too.
2: I know. Yes, yes isn't that Exactly. Funny. It really is. It's it's, it's great. funny. Good time. Thank you. And Liberty listeners, you will have access to all of the handles, all of the wisdom that was shared today in the show notes, and um, we will be shouting out there company names and definitely need to check out Rack by Rack if you haven't already. Thank you ladies for joining us and Liberty listeners. We will be with you again next week. Take care.
0: Bye. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham, and music by Jordan Flower.